If you've got your handouts with you this morning, there's an insert inside that has the uh, outline for today. We're talking about another character that is a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. We've been going through these. We're halfway through. Last week, we didn't cover Mary. We're going to cover her today. Uh, but we did talk about James and John that weren't even on our list exactly, but uh, we had a blast uh, spending some time with them. And today's uh, episode, today's uh, visual is really around uh, the wedding feast, the wedding at Cana. You know, I get the privilege of participating in all kinds of weddings. I look out there and some of you, I had the chance to do your wedding and uh, officiate at a wedding. And some strange things happen at weddings sometimes, don't they? Uh, one of my friends in, in Bible college, he was actually in my wedding as well, but he didn't do this to me. But one of our roommates, he, he did the, the classic thing where he painted help on the bottom of his shoe so that when they were up uh, kneeling at the altar, <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to have some fun sometimes and just uh, play it around. I've had, I've had, um, Grooms faint. I had one seven, almost seven foot tall fellow, uh, who was a singer in a group I was in. He he fainted during the wedding. <laughs> Sound like a timber falling down, you know. Um, and I've had various bridesmaids. Uh, you know, they seem to be a little more vulnerable and haven't eaten or whatever it is, and kind of kind of crash. And just uh, all the kind of the high expectation that sometimes get met and sometimes don't. But, you know, isn't a wedding an amazing place for the Lord Jesus Christ to really launch the majority of his public ministry? He took this moment at a wedding in Cana of Galilee and took time, took opportunity to launch his first public miracle. His first public miracle. So we see Mary, who's intricately involved in this miracle, we see her connection with Jesus. Now, this is not Mary's first encounter. We're talking about divine encounters face-to-face. She's been encountering the Lord Jesus for the 30 years that he's been alive, and even nine months before that, so to speak, because of her bringing Jesus into the world. What's interesting is this launches... In the same kind of way that a marriage launches a couple into a whole new phase of their relationship. And in some ways, it's it's yet to be seen exactly what it's going to be. But the wedding itself determines the future. You pledge yourself, your your, uh, fidelity, your love, your cherishing. And then it unfolds from that moment forward. In fact, some people would say that there's a point of no return when you get to the wedding. It's a commitment point. And that's the same thing with Jesus and his ministry. He's entering a a brand new phase, and it seems like his kind of ambivalence, reluctance, slow to uh, grab it, is partly due to his knowledge that this is going to be an amazing change in direction for him. It's going to launch a three-year window that's going to end with his hanging on the cross. It's going to end with his death, eventually burial, and eventually resurrection from the dead. But that death moment, 
that Jesus prayed in the garden, if there's any other way, Father, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It really starts in this moment of first miracle that he's performing in this wedding. And so this is, uh, today we're going to use Mary. We're going to talk about the wedding gift and the chosen clip. It's one of my favorites. I mean, I know I've said that every week, <laughs> pretty much. But we're going to take time to, to look at the interaction of Mary and, uh, and Jesus. If you got your hand out, let's jot a few things down about Mary. I, I, I say Mary of Nazareth partly because I'm distinguishing her from the other Marys. There's like six Marys, you know, but we've already talked about Mary of Magdala. Mary Magdalene. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're going to take some time to look at some of her characteristics. Obviously, what's she most famous for? Every Christmas we talk about Mary, right? (laughs) She was amazing, chosen as a young, young, young lady to be the vessel through which God brought Jesus into the world. She was the virgin that gave birth to Jesus, the Son of God. Now, as uh, Simeon held up Jesus at the temple and blessed him and said, my eyes have now seen the Messiah, he also looked at Mary. Do you remember what he said? There is, a, in a way, a, a sword is gonna pierce your heart. She predicted, he prophesied in advance that Mary was gonna be sorrowful at a certain point because of of Jesus. I mean, imagine your offspring, your child, going through a public humiliation and crucifixion. I mean, how could you get more of a sword than that? And so her whole life, she knew this was coming. This was on its way. And it was a matter of living that out. Now, she was, uh, we call about her, her belief, she was a believing mother, and a wise disciple. And we see her pictured throughout Jesus's ministry at various times, and most importantly, at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, when a lot of the other disciples had actually abandoned Jesus out of fear, she and some of the other ladies were there as a wise disciple and a firm, believing mother. We don't know a lot about what happened, but we know that Joseph is not mentioned after the birth and the 12-year-old mark of Jesus. From then on, we see Mary with no visual support or leadership. from her. So one, some of us would say she was a single mom. She had other children. Jesus is confronted by them at one point in his ministry, but uh, Joseph is not uh, mentioned So that makes her all the more amazing to me. (laughs) In that culture, in that day and age, a single mom with uh, incredible pressure uh, placed on her because of the ministry of her son. One more, I just talk about uh, the stewardship that she's called on to steward this gift that's placed in her hands, the gift of the son of God. God placed in her care his dear son and gave her the opportunity to steward that gift and to raise that gift. And at this point in Jesus's time frame, in his life, in his, in his uh, time lapse, you're beginning to see a, a change in direction 
from private miracles and private things that he was doing to public ministry. And this public ministry is going to usher in a bunch of this. So let's get into John chapter 2. John chapter 2, and we're just going to start off with the first couple of verses of this. We've been talking about John quite a bit. And uh, what we're really talking about is welcoming the presence of Jesus. Welcoming the presence of Jesus. That was Mary's role throughout the scriptures. She ushered in his presence as a baby. And in this case, she brings in his presence into a wedding and into a miracle. She actually is an instigator and an inviter to the presence of God. We would say a welcomer to the presence of Jesus. And here's what I I, I like to get you to think about. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana of Galilee. By the way, I like to use this in wedding ceremonies and talk about Jesus' presence in a wedding. In a way, gives a stamp of encouragement and approval for that. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, we don't know whose wedding this is. Many scholars and authors think that it was John, the Apostle John's wedding. But we have no biblical exactness on that. But it had to have been a close relative or a close friend because Mary's involved at a critical level of refreshments. You know, she's like the one who makes the cake or the one, the one who needs to help with the wine, you know, kind of a, kind of a thing. And so the invitation is there for Jesus. And it must be close because he's not just responding himself. He brings his whole tribe. He brings his whole troops. And that may be why they ran out of wine. <laughs> the number soared, you know. I've been at weddings where they said RSVP and nobody did, but they showed up. Oh, you're saying that because you've done that before, huh? No. Uh, and what happens? The caterers are thrown off and they're like scrambling. And that seems to be what's going on here. But Jesus was invited. Jesus brought his disciples. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. They have no more wine. Let's just pause there for a minute and think about this uh, inviting of the presence. Well, we had a wedding. It just wasn't like everyone else's. Why not? You know why. I would have gone. I know. If Joseph were here, he would be so proud of you and Rafi. So happy for you. You don't think I'm overdoing it. I would have said so. It's just that Hila's canopy for their son's feast had exquisite and extravagant. It doesn't even matter. Sarah and Asha will love it. Have you heard from your special guest? He's coming. He may bring several others. Is that okay? Jesus can bring everybody he wants. I haven't seen him in ages. How is he? He's good. He's... He's always good. I'm ecstatic for you. <laughs> Imagine he's a fine craftsman. When he's not working, he has a calling. I seldom know where it will take him. 
He's bringing students. Mm -hmm. I bet he's handsome. Mm. I bet he is. <laughs> Dinah. Dinah, they're here. Moment of truth. I made Rafi spend everything we had left for good wine. So wish me luck. You must be Thomas. I am Rafi. This is my wife, Dinah. Many blessings to you on this joyous day. And may I present the finest, most beautiful vintner in all of Galilee, Raima Batkafni of the Kafni Vineyards on the plains of Sharon. It is an honor to meet you at last. You will give my regards to the old scoundrel upon your return. <laughs> Raima is the daughter of my old friend, Kaf. The wine is here on time. A good start to a joyous day. Of course. Thomas is never late. My father sends his warmest regards with this. Breast in the time Augustus died, cut with seawater honey from Mount Hermon, black pepper, and pine from fire. Divine. I certainly won't refuse that. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. Oh my. <laughs> Thank heaven on Arsha's day. Abner and Hila will be pleased. Maybe a little jealous even. Oh. Abner and Hila. I am now in debt because of wine for Abner and Hila. Oh, How much is there? Of the special vintage, there's two amphorae and one of a lesser. Of course, we intend to serve the best wine first when the guests are fresh. Later, when everyone is stuffed and senses dulled, we'll serve the remaining jar. Do you understand? <laughs> yes, son. It's the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> We are in good hands. And I assume the head count is still the same, 40 or so at the time during the week? Is it? I'm asking. I'm sure it's right. Perfect. Where would you like us to set up? This way. The master of the banquet will walk you through it. Knock, knock. Can we come in? Hi, <laughs> Ima. I have missed you. Look at you. It's been a while. Have you been eating? I have been eating. These people have been helping me to eat. Hi. How are you? Just a little greeting there, and uh, it's kind of a setup for what we're going to see here in a minute as the wedding gets closer and uh, things get prepared. Mary is kind of at the heart of things. She's setting things up and she's uh, working on things. And we talk about welcoming the presence. Uh, of Jesus. And you think about it for a minute, Jesus's presence always lifts up, always elevates. It always brings people to the next level. It's obvious in the video clip, but it's also obvious in our, in our lives. Now, Mary had uh, a lot of connections. Think about it for a minute. There was this miraculous conception of Jesus, but then from what we can tell, it was an ordinary birth. I mean, there seems to be nothing miraculous about the birth itself. It seemed to be very typical. When I mean, you think about it for a minute, Jesus was a miraculous child, but he had an ordinary childhood, upbringing. We see no evidence of, you know, he's trying to swim with his cousins and he's, he's just walking on water and they say, get down in the water or something. You know, they don't do that. <laughs> 
We have no evidence of him uh, going over to a, a, a dead pet and raising him for anything. You know, we have no evidence of anything during his childhood. In fact, the one picture we get at age 12, which we've used here before recently, uh, of age 12, he's uh, in the temple worrying his folks, but there's no miracle necessarily. There's just an amazing connection with the Father. And he begins to ask the priests leaders, rabbis, and scribes questions, and they are all amazed with his ability to grasp eternal and spiritual things. But his upbringing is fairly ordinary. One more, here's this chance for a miracle. Right here, we're at the crux of it, where they run out of wine. It's kind of an ordinary need, and you might say, wine is not even... You know, one of the, it's not food and water. It's not like one of the basics to survive. It's a little on the uh, elaborate or, you know, deliberate kind of side. Yeah, that's the chance. And so look what Mary says to Jesus. We have run out of wine. They have no more wine. See, Mary invited Jesus to the earth. Mary invited Jesus to the wedding, and now Mary's going to invite Jesus to perform a miracle, to do something supernatural, extraordinary, to have this encounter. She just has to invite him to it, and he responds in this way. Now, I just want to point out that this would have been a, a, an incredible scandal if they had literally run out of wine on the first day of the wedding, which usually lasted multiple days, many times a week. In fact, there are evidences of relatives suing those who were throwing the party when they ran out of wine. <laughs> now, that sounds extreme, but they would take whole weeks off and plan vacations around the party. And when the party ended early, they would uh, literally get very upset. So it would put a bad light and a humiliation on the, on the couple. So when she says, they have no more wine, think about it for a minute. What's she really saying? <laughs> I'm wondering if it's kind of like, uh, kind of like communication goes this way. Sometimes people don't say what they really want, but they say something like close to it. I'm thinking of... Um, you know, you, 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 you leave your pants on the floor and your wife comes in and says, are those yours? Now, what she really means is, would you please pick those up? I mean, if my answer is no, those aren't mine, then I've got some questions, right? <laughs> uh, you know, are those yours? Or uh, the dishwasher's clean. Okay. I think that means, would you please unpack it? You know, if that's, you know, your responsibility. But sometimes it's the dishwasher, you know, sometimes you announce the obvious. And I think that's where Mary's at. She's saying, they've, they've run out of wine. And Jesus is like, okay, so what's your request? She doesn't really get down to it, but he knows, just like we know, when it comes to communication, what that chance really is. And God is seen in this ordinary Mixture, this ordinary commodity of 
of wine for the wedding. It's as if Jesus was, was saying, um, I'm not sure they're ready for me yet. I'm not sure that the people have invited me. And notice what it says. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. So Jesus is at this crux in his ministry. He's at the crossroads of what's going to happen in his life. And what he says is, why do you involve me? Now, this is not a derogatory term. In fact, this where he says, woman, it'd be more like sweet lady. I mean, that'd be the way we'd probably translate it today. It's the same word Jesus used from the cross when he invited John to adopt his mother and Mary to adopt John as mother and son. He said the same phrase, woman, not in a derogatory, not like, you know, downplayed, not downcast, but rather, what, what is this? What, what are you involving me for? Mary is inviting Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. Rescue this family from humiliation. Rescue this family from disaster and keep the family happy. And I think Jesus, in a way, is saying, they have not yet recognized me for who I am. They've not yet invited me here to the wedding as Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They've invited me as Jesus, Mary's son. He says, my hour has not yet come. There's going to be a time. There will be soon. And Jesus begins to think things over and to project what's going to happen in his life. And really to ready himself. In fact, uh, the movie portrays this idea of a stonemason. A stonemason who is preparing the cornerstone. And once that cornerstone is set, the whole trajectory of the building is in place. And they're envisioning this miracle as the stone that gets set. And they even portray um, the, one of the other disciples... As a, as a stonemason, describing the difference between being a smith, a blacksmith, we would call him, and a stonemason. And, and he, the whole idea is stonemasons, when they lay something in the ground, it's final. Whereas with iron, you can reheat it, remelt it, and reuse it, but not so with stone. It's like this wedding is the point of no return for Jesus. He's, he's seeing this as a different. Now, notice the, what, what it says. And this is the, the key phrase for the whole week. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I've entitled this, doing whatever Jesus tells you. I, I can kind of envision Mary, you can kind of see it in the video, talking with Jesus, and he says, my time has not yet come. And then her turning to the servants and saying, whatever he tells you to do, you do. You know, that's always the basis for a miracle in your life. That's always the basis for God working in your life. Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And when you do it, amazing things unfold in your life. Jesus talks about obedience being the key to unlocking spiritual life, spiritual love. Not obedience like, oh, I have to but obedience in the sense of 
we get to, we have the opportunity. This profound miracle comes about because they do whatever he tells them. And I think that's the, the case for all of us all the time, doing what he asks. Um, obedience, doing what Jesus tells us to do, is in many ways is, a, is measurable. You know, it's measurable. In this case, Jesus is going to tell them to fill pots. He's going to tell them to fill them to the brim. Can you measure that? Yeah. Obedience is, is most, one of the most measurable things we, we have. It's not halfway, it's full. Jesus said it in other places. Whatever you measure with, that measure will be used for you. Whatever measurement you use will be used for you as well. So here's this measurability of obedience that's there. Um, I think about it sometimes from the standpoint of your checkbook. Your checkbook can be a good measurement of your obedience. You know, I think God gave us some specific financial options to trust him with. And I just keep saying to people, whatever God tells you to do, do it. Do it. I remember hearing about a, a fellow that was up by the airport. And uh, he was praying one time about a special giving opportunity. And... Uh, and he, and he heard the voice of the Lord, he thought, say, I want you to give $50,000 in the next three years. And he was out looking at the planes and they were going over. And he heard this, you know, kind of thought that he had from the Lord. And he said, what do you think is going to fall from an airplane? And he's like, what? No, you need to budget for that. So he went back in the house and he kind of budgeted this amount which was incredible for him to do, but he just felt like God was saying, do it. So just according to this verse, whatever God says to do, do. And over the course of these three years, he eked out this giving, not grudgingly, but with some sacrifice. Well, then at the end of the three years, at the end of the three years, he got this letter in the mail. He got this letter in the mail from the airport that had said, we've just done a study, and because of your position in the flight plan, we believe we have affected your, uh, we've depreciated your um, uh, real estate to the tune of, guess, $50,000. <laughs> and they sent him a check for $50,000. And that same day, he was out <laughs> again in his yard, and he saw these low-flying plane going over saying, oh, maybe it does fall from the sky. <laughs> and, and it's kind of that way. Whatever God says to do, do it. It may not make sense to you. Even tithing to some of us, it goes, that doesn't make sense. You know? And yet God loves to do miracles when we do whatever he tells us. When we do what he tells us, he loves to shower out his blessing. That's exactly what happens here. He tells the, she tells the servants to do whatever Jesus says, and look what happens. Jars full, 20 and 30 gallon jars full of the choicest wines. We're talking about amazing financial blessing for this family because the servants 
did whatever Jesus said to do. I'm thinking about one other uh, situation where there was a, a young lady who was new in her faith, and she was struggling to do what Jesus said when it came to finances. And so she, um, she, went, she, she got uh, a certain amount of $1,030 for the week. And she was the first time, January, I'm going to start tithing. So she wrote out a che- or started to write out a check for $1,003. And somehow, God just said, make it 1200 She said, okay. She did what God said. And as she was leaving the service, someone came up to her and said, I don't know why, but God's telling me to give this to you. And it was a fellow who actually carried around $100 bills. And he said, I was going to give you $100, but now I feel like God's saying give you $120. And she just went, whoa. Just doing what God says can lead to some miraculous things. And I want to tell you this. You can't outgive God. Do whatever he asks. Give, and it will be given to you full measure, pressed down. You, you you're, you're, can't even contain all that God has in store. And I think that's the case in this miracle. They do what God... And so obedience is measurable. Obedience is exciting. Think about it. They were excited about giving this gift to the, um, to the wedding. And uh, obedience leads to your heart's desire being answered. Is it Psalm 37, 4, God will give you the desires of your heart. <laughs> Sometimes we don't even want to pray for things because it's like, well, that's kind of selfish. But no, God loves to shower on us and give us the desires of our hearts. Now, nearby there stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. These were made out of stone. They were different than clay pots. They were impregnable as far as um, germs and, and, and bacteria. They were solid. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Here's the start. Let it begin. Are we going to do what he tells you to do? So they filled them to the brim. Reminds me of the Old Testament, Elisha, you know, and the uh, widow. Fill as many pots as you can. And the more pots they got, the more the filling happened. You know, the miracle of the fill. (laughs) So they filled them to the brim. He told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water, been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best for now. Let's take a minute and view that via the chosen. Thomas, talk to me. Just watch out for the frogs this time. (laughs) Oh, sons of Jonah. We were just looking for you. They're dancing to the song of Miriam, and we thought you wouldn't want to miss it. 
course. Let's the three of us show him how it's done, huh? I don't think that's such a good idea. Why? Andrew has four left feet. Four? <laughs> Why four? When he tries to dance, he looks like a donkey walking on hot coals. <laughs> oh, Andrew, do you deny it? I've never seen a donkey walking on hot coals. Actually, that would be a terrible thing to behold. My son. Ah, Andrew, you see, even my own mother will join us in the Song of Miriam. They've run out of wine. But it's only the first day. Yes, and it's all gone. Not a drop left. Why are you telling me this? We can't let the celebration end like this. And Etcher's family humiliated. Boys, uh, go join the others. I'll be right there. Mm. Whatever he tells you. Fill these jars with water. I'm not sure you heard her clearly, but we've run out of wine. Not water. These are similar in size to your amphorae. The prudent marks, yes. Equally filled all the way to the brim. You're a very responsible person, aren't you? We are in a crisis, and I was led to understand you have a solution. Do you know why jars for purification rites are made of stone? <laughs> what? You heard me. Because the stone is pure, less likely to stain or break, and it can't be made unclean. Yes. Fill these jars with water all the way to the brim. Why? You heard him. Start drawing water, quickly. Tell anyone you find to stop what they're doing and help. From the directions you have provided, I see no logical solution to the problem. It's going to be like that sometimes, Thomas. What did you say? I do not rebuke you. It is good to ask questions, to seek understanding. There's no time for this. I know of a man like you in Capernaum, always counting, always measuring. That's my job. And that people will think I have not done well tonight. Join me. And I will show you a new way to count and measure. A different way of seeing time. Go with you where? <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't understand. Keep watching. I do hope you're enjoying yourself. Where are the servers? I don't know, but I'll go find them right away. It is far past time for another round of wine. The last one was nearly an hour ago. Yes, well, you Surely see... Surely there is more common, Dinah. Uh, I'm very sorry. Yeah. Just do not worry. This will be taken care of immediately. Next round of wine right away. Thank you for reminding us it's all under control. Was your father a stone mason as well? Smith. I think it broke his heart, but I apprenticed under a stone cutter when I was nine. Every man must leave his father. Masonry seems like harder work. <laughs> it isn't harder, it's just more uh, final. If the smith wants to change the horseshoe or the plowshare or the pot hook, he has only to put the iron back into the fire and reshape it to fit his designs. Therefore, the Everyone, please step outside. Just for a moment, Thomas. Once you make that first cut into the stone, it can't be undone. It sets in motion a series of choices. What used to be a shapeless block of limestone or granite begins its long journey of transformation. And it will never be the same. some out and serve it to the master of the banquet.
wine first and then when the people have drunk freely much later in the feast they serve the poorer wine the cheap stuff <laughs> because by then who is going to notice <laughs> am i right but you you have chosen now to serve the best wine i have ever tasted let us thank them for this unnecessary but honorable gesture Son of Rafi and Dinah, to Sarah, daughter of Abner and Hila, be as pure and as fruitful as this wine. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. To Asher and Sarah. something wrong? Yes. I was. I know it's a little longer than some of our clips, but I wanted to show the whole thing in its entirety and get us uh, launched. Because you see what Mary's doing there? She's inviting Jesus and his power to take place, his power to be evident. She's inviting him in to the uh, plan. And she's expecting God to do an extraordinary thing. And I want to ask you today, how expectant are you for the Lord to show up in your life? For God to do works that only God can do in your life. How expectant are you for the miracle power of Jesus to be evident in your life and in your family? God loves to do the extraordinary. There's no limit to God's power. There's no limit to God's resources. So often we think in a, a, a limited fashion, but there's no limit to God's resources. What's the Bible say? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All the gold in every mine is his. <laughs> you know, And he is not limited like we sometimes think of limitations. There is no limit. And trusting God, trusting the Lord, always leads to miracles. 
do what he says. So miracles follow obedience. Obedience and miracles go together. When you trust, you obey. When you obey, amazing things happen. God loves to, to do that. Here's, uh, here's Jesus, uh, his power and ability being applied in a wedding feast. Um, and she invited his power. And one more thing. I just want to end with the uh, last verse in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, and it's that Jesus has praise. He has glory. Look what it says. When Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed what? His glory. And his disciples believed in him. So this was a sign miracle, a gift miracle. And there was a, this divine relationship that Jesus had with the Heavenly Father, Father was being expressed and praise was, was there. Um, put your faith in the God behind the signs. Don't look for the signs, the Bible says, but put your faith and trust in the God behind the signs. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation that was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard? God also testified to it by signs and by wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What are the signs there for? They're to confirm the word of God. The reason Jesus did this was to confirm that he was who he said he was. We can put our faith and our trust in him. The Bible says, we saw his glory. Glory is the one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth. His glory is seen and his grace and truth are, are there. Um, how much faith do you have? How much trust do you have? Sometimes I tell people to take it like an attorney would. You know, in an attorney's world, there's certain levels of evidence. You see the signs, you see the evidence, and you believe or trust in a certain way. Police officers are told they have to have 49% evidence or probability to arrest somebody. 49% chance, they call it probable cause. Okay? You're going to put the handcuffs on someone, there's got to be a reason behind that. Now, there's a different standard for those that uh, are on trial. For some, it's got to be clear and convincing proof. You know, In fact, we would use that probably for like, should I take a new job? <laughs> should I buy a new car or something we want? And that's 75% chance that it's a good thing. We would say that tips the scale more than 49%, more than 50%, it tips the scale in that way. In fact, you won't go to jail if there's not at least clear and convincing proof. The third standard, which I think we would like to see all of us come to, is what they call beyond reasonable doubt. Beyond reasonable doubt. And the attorneys say that's 95% probability. It's not 100% because you can never reach 100%. But if you're on, on trial, let's say for your life, like uh, the death penalty is involved, you've got to have 100% of the jurors have a 95% or more belief, reasonable, beyond a reasonable doubt, that you committed the crime. 
if there's even one that doesn't have a 95% belief in that, you will not be put uh, to, to death and not have that consequence on you. And once you encounter Jesus, just like we're talking about the encounters with Christ, the face-to-face meetings with Jesus, you have to decide what's the level of evidence. Is it indeed, is it probable cause? Is it reasonable doubt? What is it where you are trusting and putting your faith in him? In Mary's case, she loved to see God use ordinary people in extraordinary kingdom ways. And she always put trust in Christ and said it's always the right thing to do. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for us uh, being called to encounter his presence like at this wedding. His power like in this miracle and his, his praise and his glory in our lives. Lord, would you help each one of us as we process our relationship with God, our relationship with God through Jesus, our relationship with Jesus in providing for us everyday aspects of our lives. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our families and open us all to do what Jesus says to do. Help us to not do more than Jesus says, not to do less than Jesus says, but to do just what the Lord is calling on us to do. Would you direct us, Lord? Guide us. Let us see the power of Jesus evident in our lives every day. For we pray it in Jesus' name.